welcome to another edition of the Capiche Filmcast. Stephen Barry here, joined by my fellow film aficionados. Uh, we've got Scott Armour. For England, James. Yep, yep. Oh, okay. That's quite fitting, I suppose, with the whole Jubilee thing. Gordon Webster. Good afternoon, Mr. Barry. And Steve McCall. A very good evening to you all. And uh, it's, yeah, we're not get Fran. Fran apparently might be phoning in at some point from some sort of bus. I'm not sure what's going on there, but uh, so right now he's not with us. So it's the four of us just now, and this is the start of our hopefully new series of podcasts we're going to be doing uh, monthly uh, in a sense of this style, which will be a kind of rundown of what we've been watching with an emphasis more on the newer stuff that's come out this year, 2022. Um, so uh, I suppose with the first one, uh, we're going to be talking about anything that's come out in 2022 in the last six or five months and then going forward we'll have another one a month's time and we'll, t- we'll try and aim for the things that have come out in that month but obviously we, it can still be in 2022 and yeah just give uh kind of rundown our reviews and um just talk about them and i've got a wee surprise topic at the end i will spring on you as well i'm sure you're looking forward to it uh, on the edge of your seat stuff and um yeah but before we actually get into it uh we, we don't have like a lot of news obviously i do think that we should probably just spend a couple of minutes um just going over the uh just very quickly the, the very sad death of ray liotta and um, reason he obviously he died um was it revealed was it last week was it last <clears throat> week? i think it was two yeah it was two, almost two weeks two yeah, weekends two weeks ago, ago was it so obviously slightly later um, <sighs> but died in his sleep in i think the dominican republic um filming the film that he was that he was doing and obviously very sad he's he's an actor who i have loved and he's in my favorite film goodfellas he's the main star of that and so yeah i just thought it would be just a couple of minutes just talking about essentially some of our favorite ray liotta performances mine being the obvious goodfellas i think he's magnetic in that film and um it's it's interesting that it was Joe Pesci obviously got the Oscar for that film, but I feel I mean it's more of an Oscar-y performance. Joe Pesci's I suppose really Otto is the straight kind of character throughout it, but as the leading main role, um, he's nearly in most most scenes in the in the entire film. It's it's funny he didn't get any sort of I don't know if he was even <coughs> nominated for it, um, but yeah, what a fantastic actor, and it's a, a sad, uh, kind of. You know, a sad thing to happen, but I suppose dying in your sleep, if you're going to go, then well, there are worse ways to go, unfortunately, especially in the Dominican Republic. <laughs> but no, that's uh, <laughs> tasteless. But uh, no, I don't know what you mean there, Steve. Go on, yeah. What other ways in the Dominican Republic can you meet your demise that are worse than that? Uh, probably every other way. Uh, Cannib- cannibalism, mm-hmm. uh, Scott. Have you got any other? What's your thoughts, really, Ota? Have you got any films that you've Enjoyed it. Um, it was actually, I don't know if any of you guys have seen the Many Saints of Newark, mm-hmm. the the sort of Sopranos uh, prequel, if you want to call it that. Um, I really liked Really Otta in that. I thought Really Otta was a standout in that. Yeah, um, he played a dual which, performance, wasn't he? He played two characters, didn't he? He was the dad of, oh, I can never remember the guy's name. Uh, um, Chris. Or is it? Yeah, Maltesant. I think he was he the dad or was he the grandpa? But then he also played the brother, and mm-hmm. the twin brother, in yeah. pres- the twin brother in prison as well. Um, which I thought there was the. It, it, I kind of chuckled. I think I sent you a message, Steve, when they're actually at the dinner table, 
and when he's he's playing the older uh, character and he does the Leota laugh. Mm-hmm. He does the kind of like, you know, you know how you does that meme online of the Leota laugh in Goodfellas. So he kind of does that. And I, I, I had a chuckle. Uh-huh. But he's so serious as the as the brother. And when uh, Maltesano goes to visit him in the prison. Um, and I love him in Hannibal as well. Oh, yeah. Like he's, brilliant, he's brilliant in Hannibal as well. Um, <clears throat> where he gets his skull um, removed and... Uh, eats his own brains. That is the thing. It's so That's one of, like, that one, the thing. one of the most visceral scenes you're ever going to see. It's it's like uh, this is horrendous what I'm watching right now. Yeah. There you go, Steve. We we got a title already for our our next film catch up podcast. Yeah, exactly. Gordon and I were talking about some of the the, the names that we got for those lockdown catch ups. So usually it's a random expression or phrase that's came out of the podcast. So. Um, there we go. We might have a contender already. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of the other films. Most like Copland is a film that he's really good in. Uh, I always find him really intense in that. And Identity, I'm sure he was good in that as well. Uh, he can. He did tend to play more villain roles, didn't he? Later in. Yeah, it was like. Was he in the one with Jason Statham? Um, but anyway, no. Nah, like obviously, we don't need to get into um the actual film. I, but he's, Revol- uh, he's revolver's the thing. I'll... Revolver. That's, I knew it started with a T. Uh, but um, <laughs> no, I think I think that is the one. That is the one. That I think which isn't actually a great film. No, to be honest, it was, so it was not a. Uh, but I do remember really ought to have been like the the standout. He kind of plays more of a kind of zany sort of mm-hmm. bad guy in that. Yeah. Um, uh, but no, it's a shame. Uh, it's a shame. Yeah. Um, unless there's any more you guys want to add, I can move on. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, like, I've not seen Leota in much at all. Apart, I don't know if I've seen him in anything at all except Goodfellas. But um, from the the sort of genres he was involved in, and the, the example Scott said, sometimes you get that in your head. It's just like a picture of him. He was really good in this, but it's hard to remember the name of the film. But it's just he was to me, really Leota. The way he looked in his performances, Henry Hill and Goodfellas, he was that quintessential gangster, but he was, you know, the the sort of endearing gangster, if you like. Yeah. And he just had that presence, you know, um, like I terrible loss, such such a talent. Yeah, like and to just talk about Goodfellas just briefly because I'd love the chance to talk about Goodfellas, but like he made Henry Hill look cool. Henry Hill, when you see him in interviews and hear what things he's said, the guy is obviously is a criminal, um, yeah. and he's a he's a thug. He's inarticulate. He swears constantly. He just doesn't look anything like really Ota. He's not actually, I would say, you know, a good looking guy. But really, Ota gave him a style and class, and it's and it's uh, and he, he just had that. And as much as really Ota is very intimidating in that film, like that scene, I still think of that scene as he's. Um, Karen's been attacked, and he's and it's the neighbor, and he, he kind of gives her like what is it he does? He strolls over, and he kind of like fixes his shirt or something, like that, and he does that straight walking like st- stare as he's walking at the guy, and the cat's like a panning shot as it pans over to the neighbor, and then he just gets his gun out and just beats him with the kind of the the butt of the gun or whatever like that, and it's just yeah, he's just so intimidating, so yeah. intense, and it's the and he comes back. With the blooded gun and gives it to her, and he's like, "Hide that!" And then he goes back <clears throat> to, uh, to the to neighbor, and yeah. it, it, it's infers that he's done even more damage to the guy. 
Um, but yeah, a very intense performance. But he can go from that to somehow kind of alluring and 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 something charming about him. Like there's, it's it's a strange thing to to find him cool when he's a, he is a criminal. But yeah, the character. I mean, similar to Tony Soprano, he had many layers. He was vulnerable, and but he tried to do the right thing ultimately. Mm-hmm. They obviously toned down. I don't know if he. I think Henry Hill did say he didn't do a lot of the killings. He was just there as the guy that would help cover up stuff, and he would do all the sort of smaller stuff, like blowing up things and all that kind of stuff. So you see the psychopath stuff with from the Joe Pesci character, and really Ota was more the kind of observant one there. It's like you know not doing it himself, but it's, you're never quite sure how much he did in real life. But yeah, I, I great performance, and I love it, and it's uh, <clears throat> one of my favourite films it, of all time. Uh... It actually was in Smoking Aces, but it was Revolver that I was thinking of. Right, okay. That's well, good that we've got that cleared up then. Everyone can do it. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, um, I think that's probably... Uh, we've given a fair tribute for Ray Liotta. It is a sad, uh, you know, sad death. It's, um, you know, it's very unexpected. Uh, he was only 67, so it does still feel like he could have went on a fair few, you know, a couple more decades and then still making films, obviously. So, very sad death for the industry and, uh, yeah, one of my all-time favourite actors from one of my all-time favourite films, uh, Passing of Ray Liotta. Alright, so the impossible pivot from that now into actual films we've seen and hopefully a bit more, uh, I'm sure there's some some happier stuff in that. I'm going to let uh, let's Gordon kick us off. What have you been up to? What have you been watching uh, recently you want to talk about? Yeah, and oh, great to be back for season two as well. I, I, I should have said, like, I, I feel, I feel like I just treated it like so run of the mill. We're not done a podcast in ages, so it's exciting this, but great to be back, <laughs> guys. Um, yeah, I think I'll start off um, with Top Gun Maverick because it's the most recent one. It was a cinema experience, obviously. It's magnificent to be back in the cinema after the last couple of years, and I'm very positive with the film. Actually, I, I thought it was really good. I thought it was possibly even better than the original Top Gun. Yeah, I've heard uh, similar sentiments from some podcasts I've listened to uh, who mostly praised the action scenes and the sort of intensity of some of the stuff um, and it, how it was able to feel like a Top Gun film but somehow modernised. Um, considering that film, probably I'd, I'd imagine it. I've not even seen it, so I can't really speak too much on it, but I... From what I've gleaned from through osmosis, that films looks a little dated in soundtrack and all that, such cheesy and things like that. Is that what you would say about this one? Well, I had a fear during the first couple of minutes opening. the The actual title sequence is it's almost it's almost the same as the first one. The same text. I think it's the exact same theme. And I've only seen the first one a couple of times, so it's hard to compare exactly but um very similar in style same i'm pretty sure it's the same theme same shots of the the naval jets take taking off off the aircraft same style of shots so i thought is this just going to be a big nostalgia fest but it wasn't at all it was well very well handled for a sequel in in a world where we're getting a lot of these really late sequels the first one was 86 so this is some time after and fairly minimal CGI again, like the first one. What I loved was the the it was real jets. You get a sense of really being in that cockpit. Um, it's I'm not really 
well versed in like the, the like the, the class of jets and is maybe F sixteens and things like that. It's, um, but it's it really you really get a flavour of the naval world and one of the things that I love the most was I just get so Pete Maverick Mitchell who Tom Cruise reprises his his role as it's a different take in the character. You now get I what now I watched the first Top Gun. I think the night before, just to try and get a sense of the background. And the, I like this first one. Um, it's a bit stock if you compare it to a lot of Cruz's 1980s films. And he's almost like this infallible character in the first one. And, you know, kind of cocky, confident guy. Um, the woman just fault his feet and all that. But but the, the, then in this one, um, he's right away from the start. He's on the back foot. All the new naval pilots are kind of looking down at him and making jokes at him. And he's in a bar. And, and it's, it's a great parallel with the first one. He was in a bar and just sort of ruled the place. He goes into this bar and the, the new naval guys just sort of ingest, make a fool of him and he has to buy a round of drinks. And it's just so well handled. And he's on the back foot. So... He's, he's a more vulnerable character. He's an older, seasoned Pete Mitchell. It's just, I like, I really like that different take because they could have so easily just made him all, well, he's the same, he's still so, like, confident and popular. We'll forget the fact he's in his 50s and yeah. that. You know, it's, it's not like what you would do with, like, say, an older Roger Moore, for example, where it was, like, still, still the same sort of cat. You know, you get the sense of him, him having aged and it's a new world he's in. I thought that was really good, just the whole thing, him being on the back foot for yeah. so much of it. Awesome. Gordon, I mean, confession for me, I've never seen um, either Top Gun, um, but I think with the the reviews and the hype of Maverick that's getting, I, I probably am going to go and watch. Might not see it in the cinema, but I think I will watch the first the first Top Gun. What is the what is the point of the film? Is it a is it like a rom com? Is it a, not a rom com? Sorry, but is it like a drama? Like what what is it? I, I would say. More an action thriller. I would say the first one was an action thriller, but more of a more of a more of a romantic action thriller. Yeah, I would say this film's more about redemption, and um, I don't think this counts as a major spoiler because the original Top Gun was was released in nineteen eighty six, and it, and practically everyone knows about the the death of um, Cruise's wing, uh, Pete Mitchell's wingman Goose, and in the second one he um, has to train his son. And his son blames him for his father's death. And a lot of the film revolves around um, them not getting on. And so, and that's a good take on it because it wouldn't really have worked. There is a romantic involvement in the second one uh, with Jennifer Connelly's character. I think she's really good herself. Um, the romance does feel a bit shoehorned in, but it, it focuses more on other themes, more like redemption. And um, it's a high stakes film, and there's a proper. Um, unlike the first one's more like about um, the whole film almost revolves around pilots training there's no actual mission but so much of the second one's about an actual mission it's very dangerous so that was rather than just being a a stock sort of like up-to-date version of the old one it's more of a it's more of a thriller there's some proper stakes in it Um, yeah because I think see the first one because the only reason why I ask is that it's like it's not not necessarily say what actually what actually happens in the, in these films. Like, what is the end goal here? So, see the first film. There's basically a group of young guys. Top Gun is like the the rank, isn't it? I think that's like the they're all trying to be the Top Gun. Is that right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, and that yeah that is a theme, Scott. It's um it's kind of about being the best and this elite group of fighter pilots. It's like you've got I think it's like you've got the regular guys who tra- who train as like a sort of the, they're almost like the reserve army, but then you've got the Top Gun who are like the very elite and yeah. and it's about and and these guys are like like Maverick Mitchell um. They're just like they're almost too cool. I think like him especially in the first one. I just it's just yeah, like he's a bit too cool. Would that be obnoxious now watching it? If you're meant to see this character and back then maybe it was believable. I'm not sure. Is there an arc there? Does he become a bit more likable? Because I'm hearing it and I'm thinking because I did hate some of Tom Cruise's early films. I remember watching Mission Impossible Two and I just couldn't stand that grin of Tom Cruise in that film. Just, just, <laughs> Yeah. It's too much. It's like I'm so good looking. I'm so action hero guy, and it just it was off putting. Is that? No, but his his hair in Mission Impossible Two is just beautiful, though. I mean that that long hair yeah. when he's on when he's on top of those red rocks, it's just it's just flowing in the wind. Come yeah, on, he probably like rushes it from side to aye, side. Aye, to... you've you've been harsh on him there, Steve. Yeah, Come the on, L'Oreal thing going on there, but it, <laughs> it doesn't usually make me love the guy <laughs> that alone maybe i need to rewatch it and give it its due but with this film it with top gun the first film um do you is it easy to still like can you could or would it be a wee bit obnoxious if you're into that sort of genre so the first one you're, you're asking yeah just that character um, i mean specifically top top uh, tom cruise's character yeah he is because he does have a big setback to deal with with his friends right. death oh. um but i um, and Tom Cruise, he's just he is a very um, versatile actor. He did a lot of similar kind of films in the eighties, but um, yeah, he is very likable. Though I wouldn't say he's obnoxious. I would say it's not so much. A lot of it's not so much him. I think the the romance with Ke- Kelly McGillis, who is a pretty good character, it's uh, that's where it does get a bit cheesy. You feel like you're watching Cocktail again, or you're watching um, Days of Thunder the, again. Uh, Days of Sun, Days of Thunder's the race car one isn't it it is yes I, I mean it follows a similar kind of theme scott but the i mean but it's also good you'll know obviously um berlin take my breath away which is one of the main themes it's like they, they really kind of overuse that in the first one you know every it's like every time he uh like sort of gets really close with um McGillis's character it, you just hear this bow, 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 bow. and it's just every repeat 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 it gets a bit too much and um it's a pretty. The first one's pretty good, but yeah, I, the second one's a better film. It really is. There's, there's higher stakes. Um, one, one, one last thing I'll say about um both of them, but mainly the first one was see for 1986. Actually, the first one, the special effects were very, very good. There, and in the 80s, there was a lot of, you know, we look at like Raiders of the Lost Ark, for example. There was some very dated special effects, even bits of Ghostbusters, if you watch them Blu-ray, things like that. Um, but the special effects were fantastic for their time. And the first one, they used, they spent a hell of a lot of money using real fighter jets, uh, real, you know, real aircraft carrier and everything. But it, lo- it feels real. It feels like you're on real planes. It feels like you're on a real naval um, ship and everything. And the second one's much the same. And like I said, minimal CGI, which any film in today's era is always going to credit from me for yeah. for not overusing CGI. It's kind of a I think... Nolan thing, isn't it? That mm. sort of feel like, I mean, I'm not saying he's direct. I'm just saying that's his mantra, isn't it? Take out CGI, try and do it all practical. Yeah, I've yeah. seen a lot of his work, but yeah, that's what I've heard. Sorry, Scott. No, I was going to say, I think that's why Tom Cruise is getting the, the older he's getting. Obviously, he has kind of 
now so not shoehorned into that sort of action man. Um, but I, I, I kind of appreciate it, the fact that he'll try all of his own stunts. I mean, he broke, he's broke his ankle in Mission Impossible 5, was it? And jumping across a building. Like, there's that scene where you literally see his ankle snap. Um, and then the other one where he holds on to the plane in Mission Impossible sort of thing. So I think it's all that. I think that's what's getting all the practical kind of stunts and the planes and stuff like that as well. It could have been so easily done CGI and it probably would have lost a lot of that sort of, you know, I don't know, pull towards it type thing. Who's the new young character? Is it Miles Teller? Is that the actor that plays, is that Goose's son or something? I heard him get interviewed. Um, he's kind of, I will. Kind of new sort of big stars coming through. I will check that on my phone, Mr. Barry, and talk as if I'm not checking my phone, um, think, so it doesn't look I, so obvious, but I checked the might be. I think you're right, Steve. I think it's the chap that's in the uh, Whiplash uh, Eye. Whip yeah, he's kind of a big star now. Mm. Yeah. When is it? When is the film? I, I take it as set like in like present day, Gordon. I believe so. Yeah, it's, uh-huh. it's, it seems that way. Uh, yeah, so Miles Teller, and I think he's, I think he's pretty good from what I remember. Um, uh, so he's Rooster. That's his that's his call sign. Like, like Mitchell's call sign's Maverick, if you like. Um, so he's the son of Goose from the first one. But yeah, it's um, okay. yeah, I think it's every inch the present day. What would you give this uh, film then? We'll move on from this one. And move, what's what's your rating? It's a four-star film for me, Mr. Barry. Okay, just straight down. Solid four-star. Four <laughs> yeah, that's a good... Uh, still recommend... That's a strong recommendation for uh, Top Gun Maverick. Is there any other films you want to talk about or we move on first? I'll, I'll, well, I'll, I'll mention a couple just briefly. Um, I enjoyed The Pelican Brief, which is an older film. It's a 1993 legal thriller starring Denzel Washington and Julia Roberts. And I hadn't even heard of it until Andy, my brother's been reading the novel, and he got the DVD and we sat down and watched it. And I enjoyed it a lot. It was an era, the nineties, of a lot of these legal thrillers. Um, but um, Denzel Washington, I just—he's like similar to your Ray Liotas of the world. He's such, just such a presence. I really enjoyed him, and I hadn't—I'd barely ever seen Julia Roberts in anything. In such a starring role, but I thought she was very good. Um, excellent score from James Horner, and probably again a four-star film. Yeah, and, and similar to, and this will segue on to my my final film. Um, similar to the likes of the Bourne films, um, like the Bourne Ultimate and the, the the Bourne Supremacy and all that. Um, a lot of it is just like the main characters getting chased, this tension, you're never safe, there's always somebody watching you and looking for you. Um, so, But um, I'd definitely recommend that. Awesome. Cool. Okie dokie. Uh, Scott, then, we'll come to you. Just quickly, Gordon, see uh, Top Gun, do you need to watch the first one to like to watch the second one? Is it one of those films? Well, it does sound like there's a main... St- well, Gordon has Aye. told you what the thing is, but mm, it sounds like a real connecting thread with the... Yeah. Ah, but some I films... Think... You know what I mean? Some films could maybe do a quick here's here's kind of what happened in a, in, a, in a good way. Do you have to watch the first Top Gun for it to all make sense? I don't think so, no. I think you can still easily enjoy it in its own right. The... 
it does help a lot though. I, I it's good to have the background. You don't really need to know about um and I, I still can't remember her name, Kelly McGillis's character in the first one. She's not even referenced, so like it, it's it's not like um say watching Empire Strikes Back after a New Hope, maybe for example. Um yeah. but no, you don't need to. I'm just sorry, Steve. I was just going to quickly mention it also, just while it's fresh in my head. I saw Jason Bourne last night for the second time, which is the fifth of the the Jason Bourne films from the Ludlum novels. Uh, this one wasn't taken from a novel, but um, it's good. I would say I think that's more a, maybe like a three and a half out of five. Um, the kind of it was a bit of an unnecessary sequel, mm. but it's tense and thrilling in its own right. They've struggled with that franchise to kind of work out because they tried after the third one the, the the sort of three were really good and then the fourth one was jeremy renner wasn't it that was them yeah. trying to, yeah trying to do a james bond and get a new actor in and see if they can make it as a long-spanning franchise but it, nobody cared for the jeremy renner one so they're like right bring damon back jason Bourne, write in the title uh just call it that and it's again it seems to have fallen into kind of obs- well not obscurity it's obviously done a fair bit but i mean i have it doesn't seem to have made an impact really I've seen, I have seen Jason. I've seen all the Bonds. If I'm, if I'm being honest, I think from the Jeremy Renner one and Jason Bonds is very forgettable. Right. Like probably, yeah. probably good solid films, but just very forgettable. Yeah, because it felt like they wrapped up the 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 initial trilogy very well with the Bourne Ultimatum. There was no yeah. reason for Bourne to come out of the shadows, and I think um, they're they're like regurgitating the same. St- type of characters as other characters. So like um, Julia Stiles is still in it, but like um for example the the Pamela Landy character from the third one um is replaced by and I, I forget the actress's name, but it is replaced by another CIA um sort of section head and then Tommy Lee Jones replaces J- David Strathairn's character from the third one and you just think why can't you just bring him back, you know? Um but it's it's thrilling though. I mean it's not but it's it's a lot more of the same no, nothing new. That's solid. Yeah. Cool. Solid entry, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Scott, then. Well, a couple of films from me. Uh, the first one I'll probably start with is Morbius. Um, this is the Sony universe of Marvel, uh, starring Jared Leto as Morbius. And I think this is set in... And don't quote me on this, but I think it's set in the Amazing Spider-Man universe, um, or the Venom universe, uh, because um, Morbius does refer to himself as Venom. And like a lot of things in this film, where that should have been hype, it was absolutely not. Like this film falls so flat, so wide of the mark, and so many things. And part of me kind of feels a wee bit sorry for Jared Leto because I, I quite like Jared Leto and I, I quite liked it when he reprised his role as the Joker in the Snyder Cut of the Justice League. I've started to watch that, to be fair. Yeah, you need a week's holiday because it, it's like 72 and a half hours long. Yeah. <clears throat> it's worth it though. I would thoroughly recommend the Snyder Cut. It's, I don't say that as if you're going to be watching a, a you know, a a masterpiece, uh, Goodfellas style, but in terms of, in terms of the theatrical cut of the Justice League, it's it's better, in my opinion. You guys, Gordon and Steve, you haven't really watched these films, have you? Have you seen them? The, these kind of DC films. Um, no, I'm a sort of very casual viewer yeah. of 
both so I kind of I see the odd film from I suppose these universes occasionally uh, but it's not I'm, I'm a lot less familiar with the that the Sony universe which is obviously different yeah. to the, the MCU universe I'm definitely a lot less familiar with, with yeah. that one there, I mean there only is now I suppose it's literally the two Venom films plus this Morbius film if I, unless I'm mis- yeah it, well is it well um, not getting into too many spoilers but it depends if Andrew Garfield's sort of oh right okay um, yeah, the amazing Spider-Man films their, yeah. their version of Spider-Man from the sort of 2012 kind of you know yeah. is that now well the thing is well the thing is yeah, Sony. Sony is still very much involved. They they obviously do the the Tom Holland. Tom Holland is still Sony. They they own the copyrights of Spider Man or the films or whatever. Um, it's just it's Marvel Studios who who do it and clearly do a better job. I think the problem with Morbius was is that I think this film has been. I think it was meant to be released like nearly four years ago. So there's been so many like kind of. It's probably. It's probably been on the editing room floor so long that that's probably the fault here, is that people have probably looked at it and went, hmm, no, nah, do you know what? Things have changed in that film. Yeah, that film came out and that was really well done and it get, and it landed well. Let's just change something in this. Let's add that character in this film. And it is just an absolute mess. Uh, Does that have reshoots, you know? Aye, yeah. As I say, not not spoilers, but was clearly clearly changed for what happened at the end of Spider Man um No Way Home. No Way Home is the most recent one, I think, isn't uh, it? Yeah, I've still to watch it, but I hear very good things about it. Oh, it's amazing. So but but this film was kinda of changed clearly. You can clearly see it's been it's been amended so that it tries to fit in with that universe, but it just again it just fails dramatically. Um a couple of scenes in it where it's like again you you kind of it should have been hype like the moment when Morbius realizes he can fly he jumps in front of a subway train and actually the scene is quite cool but it's just like all right okay cool <laughs> and then you kind of and then you kind of go on to the next scene whereas it should have been it should have landed better um the writing in it is so it's so poor as well like for example uh, Matt Smith plays. Uh, a character Milo, who is Morbius's best friend, and this is genuinely in the film, right? So they meet as young kids who have got a rare sort of blood disease, um, and that's obviously the whole reason why Morbius is trying to get a cure for this, right? <laughs> but when he meets Milo, the kid's name's actually called Lucius, and he sits down and he goes, "Oh, uh, Michael, that's Michael Morbius. It's Michael meet Lucius. Lucius meet Michael, and Michael Morbius just goes like, that. no." Your name's going to be Milo, and the boy goes, "But my name's Lucius." And it's like, "I but I knew the the boy who lifts is sat in that bed before you was named Milo, so you're going to be called Milo from now on." Okay, all right, cool. So then that guy is just referred to as Milo. That's it, and that's him. He's just my, he's just Milo, and it's like it's like when me and you remember me and you first met Steve, and when we when we started work, remember. It's like me. It's like me saying, "Hi, my name's Scott. What's your name?" Oh, Steve. No, it's not. It's going to be Tyrone. I mean, and you're like maybe actually go with Tyrone. That's another. <laughs> you're, you're like <laughs> a bit of a you're like, cool name. Yeah. You're like, but my name's Steve. But surely after a certain point, like even maybe even after like a year or two, you would be like, Scott. 
can we talk about this? Like, can you start calling me Steve? Like, come on, this has been on too long. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's yeah. a similar thing. Uh, you, there you go. Sorry, I was going to say, it reminds me of The Lighthouse. Um, I don't know if you've seen that. I remember Fran's uncle, Robert, was brought up. Um, and Robert Pattinson's character gets called throughout the film um, by William Defoe's character, Winslow, and eventually he just loses with him. He's like, my name's not Winslow, it's whatever. And he's like, no, no you're Winslow. <laughs> just uh, love that. I need to watch but that. Even- Sounds good. I I think um I think the lighthouse is definitely on because uh, it's one of the, in fact it's a it would have been a nice in fact it will be a nice segue because I think I'm going to be so negative on Morbius it's unbelievable so so what, let's uh what would you rate Morbius then if we move uh, <clears throat> considering I fell asleep three quarters in I'd probably have to say it's a two mm. it's a two out of five nice. not a recommendation from Capiche we don't have enough twos man that's good. <laughs> we, we, okay. we either go really bad or really good I've got, usually or really, I've got, ones are the ones that we never have any I, I've never, got, I never feel oh. like have something I want that just seems so damning like everyone oh, I've got to be shot. guys oh. I've got a one on I've got a one on this list okay. I'll leave that wee bit of foreshadowing on that but I'll get to that I'll save that to the end right Um. so a segue obviously the lighthouse is it Robert Eggers or David Eggers I think it's, I think it's Robert, Robert Eggers Robert Eggers aye so I watched The Northman um, which is his newer film, uh, Stalin Starsgard. Steph. Ah, yeah, yeah. It was in, yeah, Goodwill Hunting and mm. uh, that film. What was this film you saw recently? Um, Steve the Gangster one with Robert De Niro and Jonathan Price and all that. Anyway, yeah, I know Steph. He's a great actor. As are you well, thinking? It, is it Stalin Skarsgård or is it? I Alex think it's Stalin Skarsgård because there's bloody. <clears throat> well. Alexander, I think Alexander, is it Alexander Skarsgård who's like the young... The young one, yeah. Oh, Aye, that, the young um, that, that, he played Tarzan, I think, didn't he? So are you talking about Stellan Skarsgård, the older one then? No, it's Alexander, right. the young one. So you got it. Mm. Ah, sorry, my mistake. My mistake. <laughs> He's probably great as well, I'm sure. <laughs> he, he probably wouldn't have been great in this because, <laughs> like, uh, Alexander's kind of running about and, like, just with his top off, with his abs and stuff like that, so he probably wouldn't have fitted in. Uh, probably as well in this film. Um, I think this is if if the witch, for example, the witch is the is the I've not seen the lighthouse yet, but the witch is the Robert Eggers Eggers film, which I love, love the love the ways it sets it out, the tone. It's so creepy. Um, it's so bizarre as well. This is kind of just right up your street, except it's Vikings. Uh, it is so over the top, uh, violent. Um, it is so creepy in places. I think the thing that probably takes it away from it is, and Willem Dafoe is, a, is in this as well, there's scenes where it's almost too zany, like almost comical, and I just don't think it fits for the, for the, the rest of the film. Um, Going for a Wes Anderson kind of feel or something, maybe? It, it, it almost kind of, yeah, it almost kind of like, there's a scene, so Ethan Hunt's in it, and oh, Ethan Hunt, my God, talking about Mission Impossible. Um, Ethan Hawke, um, and it's him, a young Alexander Skarsgård and Willem Dafoe, and it's a scene where they just, it's meant to be like a rite of passage scene, but they, they end up just like like burping and farting. You hear the noises and stuff, and it's like, this is really weird. <laughs> this is just so weird. Even for Robert Eggers, it's just like, this is so weird. 
not probably not even for him. It just did. There's scenes like that in this that just didn't fit for me. I think he had to probably commit with a really dark, violent, which he does, but the the quirky sort of Robert Eggers stuff, maybe with the lighthouse with Willem Dafoe, doesn't really work. You know, he kind of almost kind of adds it in, and it's like, mm, not really sure that fits here. But other than that, thoroughly recommend if if you want a really dark, ultra violent, um, but really good good payoff, good story. Uh, I'd thoroughly recommend an Offman. Fair enough. Uh, what would you give that? If then, I'd probably say it would be a four. It probably would have pushed for a five for me if they just never had that. See if they just never had that fart and burping scene. Like I think that would have probably have given it a wee bit more. Yeah, too low brow. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Exactly. Don't don't disgrace yourself. Don't bring you down your that level, Robert. Yeah, do you know? Yeah. It went from a Robert Eggers film to like a Judd Apatow film in like <laughs> yeah. two seconds. It's kind of like, what am I watching here? Judd Apatow snuck in and sort of Ed spliced in it. Aye. Robert, Robert, here's how you're successful, right? It's just farting and burping. All right, okay. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, <clears throat> uh, very quickly, uh, I watched the Uncharted film uh, and I'm going to be honest with you guys, if you asked me what happened in that film, I would struggle to tell you because it was... You know how those films that start where you're like, oh, I'm an Uncharted fan. I've played all the games. Love Uncharted. Love Nathan Drake. Love all the lore. Um, wasn't... I don't think I could see Tom Holland before I watched the film. It was like, I'm not sure I can see Tom Holland as Nathan Drake. Um, a young but, boyish, I imagine, from what I am yeah. in the games, but I get the well, sense that he needed oh, a bit to be older. Yeah. yeah, so... But I think he's put, he puts on a lot of muscle. He's He's trying... And again, it's 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 the. Well, I'm not going to judge it before I see it. I'm not going to judge it. But the issue is, is that he's he he puts on that. He puts on the exact same voice as he puts on for Spider-Man. You know, it's that kind of New York trying to be a bit more deeper. But when it comes into the fighting scenes, it's just the. You know, you could almost imagine it as a Spider-Man film. You know, I mean, it's like, oh hey, oh oh oh, oh you know, these wee quips and stuff like that. Sorry, Mrs. Dark. <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it quite long as well, Scott? I think it's just over. It's either just under or just over two hours. But honestly, like, I, it, it's so... I, I do not know what happens in the film. Like, I can't remember what happens in the film. It's so forgettable. Um, I think it is well made for that, for that aspect. Um, Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg, they just... So Mark Wahlberg plays Sully, um, who they're meant to have this, like, kind of, like, Really strong bond, really can real good connection, good chat, good banter. It just doesn't pay off. It just never pays off. Um, and there's no connection. Antonio Banderas is the bad guy. I think he would have been a really good sort of uncharted bad guy, but it just seems as if it's like right. Most of the we need to go somewhere in South America. Antonio Banderas speaks Spanish. He'll sound good as a bad guy. Let's just get him in. You know See, these I mean? sound like these last couple of films, Scott, like. The films where really talented actors are maybe getting wasted. I think the casting for Uncharted was so, so off the mark. Like, Tom Holland, as I say, beforehand, it was like Nathan Drake. <clears throat> kind of similar when Mark Wahlberg was cast as Max Payne. Like, I don't know if he's ever played the Max Payne games, but, like, Max Payne, for me, see, see a young Lance Hendrickson. Like, he should have been, or even Lance Hendrickson, he should have been Max Payne. His voice would have been to the T. Yeah, they obviously it's Hollywood, so they've got to cast young, 
you know, this is they probably want this to be a franchise. So Tom Holland, young, he'll get a good two, three films out of it at least. Um, for me, I think someone like Chris Pine, Chris Pratt, somebody like that, but older. Chris Pratt probably would have would have been really good. He's quite he's quirky, but obviously Jurassic Park films is showing he can be that kind of action man. Gardens of the Galaxy, I think he would have been a really good fit. Um, so yeah, the casting for me just totally off the story, the plot totally off. Some really good action scenes. They do the the recreate the action scene where Nathan Drake's hanging on to the sort of crates, uh, similar to Living Daylights. Like, so you that, mean like the the Land Rover uh, that, the that, that yeah. Mm, the fight on the, the the plane where he cuts um right across. across his boots, um yeah. So, but other than that, the rest of it is totally forgettable. Um, so re- really disappointing. I probably would. I, I don't think I could go as far as saying it was a two. I think it would have to be a three. Um, but it's a very weak three. But so I always think as a three is a qualified recommendation that if you can. If you're telling somebody about it and there's like a qualified recommendation, if you can get past this, you can enjoy it. Would you say that falls into that or is it you wouldn't recommend the film at all? For me, it, it it's because I'm an, a fanboy of Uncharted, the video games, um, it probably had more of a negative effect. If you just want a fun two-hour romp with Tom Holland's the main character and Mark Wahlberg's in it, just being Mark Wahlberg, and you kind of just, you know, where you just switch on to dumb mode and you just want to sit and eat popcorn for two hours, then I would probably recommend it. I think you'd probably get by. Um, for me, it's just like, no. Very qualified rec- recommend. <laughs> aye, aye, Here's strong. a list of criteria. If you're not interested in the games and you're not aye. a smart person or want to have any thought <clears throat> going on in your head when watching it and you're yeah. okay with this casting, then here is a film for you that's not going exactly. to kill you. Exactly. Okay. Um, yeah. Anything else? Well, very quickly watched Michael Bay's new film Ambulance. I feel as if I'm, I feel as if I'm in really negative here, but it must just be the films that I've watched that are really bad. So I think Ambulance could have been good. Um, but my God, Michael Bay is the most pretentious up his own arse director you have, I think there's out there, man. Like a scene with, so Jake Gyllenhaal, um, you've got, is it, uh, I can never remember the chap's name, Yusuf Abdul Mateen the second yeah, or two. Yeah. Or version two, Mark two. I think, <laughs> if it's, you want to call I think it. it's the second, you see. Ah, yeah. Um so they're in it, really strong, strong actors. And the general plot of this is just it's just a heist gone wrong as these two guys try to and they steal an ambulance to get away. Like that that literally is the plot. Michael Bay tries to turn this into bad boys. He tries to his camera work is Transformers and it's like I don't know what I'm watching here, and I actually got to a point when I had to stop it because I was getting such a sore head by how erratic and violent the camera movements was. Like, he's clearly found out the usage of drones to be used as cameras, and I'm not kidding. Like, there's scenes where Jake Gyllenhaal is literally just standing, talking to someone, but to get to that scene, there is this drone that flies in at like a hundred mile an hour. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> get, and, 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 it'll, and it'll fly and it'll fly over the two actors and then and then it'll cut to the static camera or like the the Dutch angle the, the, the Dutch angle static camera where they're having a conversation and then if they say alright we need to walk over to there and then the drone will fly over there and the camera's shaking and it's like you're expecting fucking Bumblebee to jump out 
<laughs> and then the next minute, there's these two cops that have got no chemistry whatsoever actually reference bad boys. And he has this <laughs> thing, That's how narcissistic oh my, he is, that he is happy oh to reference God, his own films and in another film oh, that's completely oh, unconnected to it. He, it no, he, <laughs> references, he references not just one, he references two films because see those same cops that, that go, they actually say, I think they actually say like bad boys for life, right? They actually talk about the scene and Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage have in The Rock. You know, Car- uh, Carla was the prom queen. They actually talk about The Rock, and it's like, my God, man, <laughs> you're two villains in this. Oh, so, dear. That's terrible. He should have actually committed to try and reference all of his films. If he can get... Uh, May as well. Transformers 2, Dark of the Moon or whatever it's called in there. <laughs> a, a, a really of witty way to get that, that specific phrasing in the film. I will give him five stars for that. <clears throat> it's, funny, it's funny you should say that. I've done a lot of rewatching, and I have actually watched Age of Extinct, Transformers Age of Extinction. That's the first one he done with Matt Wahlberg. Um, oh my god, it's so bad. It's so bad. Uh, so yeah, Ambulance, again, if you can get past the, you, I would say it's a three, but oh, really? Really... I was ex- not expecting that from this review. It sounded more like a two. I think, but again, it, you, well, it's a three with paracetamol. Right. Is it also not really long? Aye. Aye. Steve, it's a Michael Bay film. Yeah. The guy doesn't know how to I mean, end. <clears throat> fucking, I think the third Transformers film is like two hours and 45 minutes. I just remember I've seen what's the one with is it the fourth one with is it Age of Extinction with the Dinobots? Age of Extinction's Dinobots, Smart Wahlberg. So yeah, I've seen that one and I couldn't stand it. It was so oh, it's relentless. so just, it was oh, just non-stop so action. Literally, when you yeah. say that, it sounds like you're exaggerating, but there was like forty-minute action sequences of just things happening, just Aye. buildings exploding. They would just run away, and then they would sort of. Ah, and then another thing would crash through, and it was just constant. I just didn't know when mm. it was on. Just, oh. and, just and Mark. Mark Wahlberg as well. I'm not I'm not his biggest fan, I'll, I will say that. Uh, I, I think I just found a Transformer. <laughs> I am not. I found a Transformer. I'm not a Mark <laughs> <Wahlberg> fan. <laughs> and then it, it's, not even, it's not even that. Like Optimus Prime like, is this character like embedded in lore and He's like, he's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like Batman. It's like, I'll, I'll, I'll do not kill humans. You know, you do not kill humans, right? That's like, that's his code. You just, you know, at the start of this film, he comes out after Mark Wahlberg has found his Transformer. And Optimus Prime comes out and it's like, he, he kind of stands in front of all these Transformers and he's like, you know, I made a vow not to kill humans. But if I find out who done this, they're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh man! What? Do you know what I mean? So this is a what you're giving us. Oh, this is that was a Transformers one. So you gave ambulance. Oh, a yeah, oh, sorry, back down ambulance. Sorry, sorry. I, I was I was sucked into the Bayverse for uh, a second there. We'll, uh, we'll rank all of them. We'll have a. <laughs> we need a Michael Bay special. That's a great shout, by the way. See when we're doing. See if we want to do that kind of series of films. Let's do the Transformers films. I don't know. Let's do it. Let's put ourselves through that fucking madness. Well, we did suggest like have uh, a tombola thing where we pick out the the project or the, whatever we're mm-hmm. doing. And that can be one of the the options there. And uh, you know, everyone every, every one of us will come in with like sleep deprivation and like sore heads, just that they 
just the, the frantic camera work yeah. of Michael Bay. Yeah. Um, no, I think Ambulance, again, Jake Dillenhall and um, uh, Mateen, they, they do the best at what they've got. I think it's an okay film. The action scenes, the, the, the tension and stuff like that, I just couldn't get past base camera work. It's so egregious. Um, so I think it's a qualified three with uh, aspirin or paracetamol for the right. sore head you'll get. Fair enough. Excellent. Uh, uh, my, my, and, very, and very quickly, I know I'm hogging the mic here, but my one rated... Uh, my one rated uh, film and <clears throat> made a reference of Ray Liotta getting his uh, skull sawed, uh, sort of taken off and his own brains fed to him. I genuinely wished when I was watching this, this happened to me or I could easily just take the top of my he- head off and scoop my brains out and die. Because okay. this is the worst film I've seen in so long. Okay, wow. And the only... real awful as well. <laughs> I'm intrigued to see how bad this goes. And the only reason I watched this is because, and I don't know if any of you guys would be the same, right? So the wife goes, I want to watch a film tonight. And I'll go, right, okay, let's watch blah, like a good film. like a, a shoot. And then she'll be like, oh, I, like the new Spider-Man. Let's watch the new Spider-Man. Right? Within 10 minutes, I sleep, right? So obviously I'll just keep watching it. This film, Senior Year, Rebel Wilson's new film. Mm. So I go, do you want to watch a film? She goes, yeah, can I want to watch something a bit daft about Alright, okay, Rebel Wilson's got a new film on Netflix. Let's just watch that. She stays awake for this entire film. Like, and it is so bad. I can't even describe to you how bad this is. Like, at points where Rebel Wilson actually feels so uncomfortable at the jokes that she's making, she, she, she kinda almost breaks the fourth wall each time and kinda just looks at the camera as if, is that, is that good enough? Do you want me to join? Do you know what I mean? It's like, clearly clearly the director was just like, right, just put a camera in front of her and she'll just say stuff and then we'll, we'll just do takes. We'll just do take after take uh, after take. comedy, I hate that. Oh my in, God. In American style. Yeah, and it's, and it's nearly two hours long. Why it's nearly two hours long, I don't know. The film could have easily been 25 minutes. And <laughs> in fact, it just shouldn't have been made. But it's so disappointing because I actually quite like Rebel Wilson, but it's just like, it was clear that this director had no kind of comedic writing. It was just like, right, Rebel, you are the you are the, the 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 comedian here. You are the star. You just do stuff. Just say stuff. Just move your body. Twirl your hair, and it's so not funny. It's unbelievable. Um, and that is my one star review. Definitely not a recommendation for senior no. year. Okay, okay. Uh, moving on then, Steve. What's been what's been going on with you? What you've been watching? Alright, so yeah, um, I've actually managed to get back to the cinema a couple of times, which I'm quite impressed with, all things considered. Uh, so the two uh, I think I'm going to go for are basically opposite ends of the same theme, which is the relatively fashionable multiverse theme. It seems to be the kind of, I don't know, it's the big thing, the end thing at the moment. Marvel's obviously made it a thing, and other, I say, other directors are starting to catch on, but it turns out the second film I'm going to talk about was it's kind of been in the works since about 2010, so it's obviously not completely um, yeah, it's not, not completely a new, new fad that's happened they've actually been working on it for 10, 12 years yeah, people have always been trying to get it to work and then everyone's kind of made it work at the same time um, so in the order I've seen them, the first one I went to see was uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and the angle that I'm coming from that at, unusually probably I don't know how common this is, but 
I would probably call myself a very, very casual Marvel watcher. I was to say, like, how, what was your experience before going into this? Like, do you know much about this character or anything that's been going on? No. <laughs> I have probably seen, I think, maybe three or four, maybe five of the 28 films that have been released so far. Right. And it's the tricky thing about because, I mean, I remember when you used to want to watch a sequel, you had to have watched the previous film, and that was it. You now need an extensive knowledge of 27 previous films plus the accompanying TV series now. Because I don't think it's a spoiler to say that in order to watch and to understand this Doctor Strange film, you have to have watched WandaVision on Disney+. Plus. I've heard that, yep. So not only do you need to have watched 27 films, you need a Disney Plus account as well to watch the additional stuff. And to what extent, they're just trying to get people to... They're, they're obviously trying to open as many revenue streams as possible, which from a business perspective is fair enough. If, there's part of me that feels a bit like film fans are being taken advantage of to an extent. But on the other hand, if you're a fan of the if you're a real fan of the, the series and you enjoy the films, then I suppose you're you're paying for what you get, which is absolutely fair enough. Yeah. Um, but I, the my mate that I went with kind of gave me a 10 minutes oral refresher. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I, he, he told me for 10 minutes roughly what I needed to know. I'd like the um, idea that he's got a board and he's just got a bunch of arrows pointing at certain characters and this person appeared <laughs> here and this happened there and that's why this is there. Okay, you done? It's kind of like it's kind of like um, either either an Ace Ventura effort where he takes a big long deep breath <laughs> and then goes or what's the, um, the character in Ant-Man? You know, he, he, he does the kind of like he retells the stories I can't remember. Oh, Michael Penner's character. Michael Penner's character, he kind of retells the story yeah. and it's like all kind of zany and stuff like that. But um, I would have loved to have heard that 10 minute uh, recap, to be yes, honest. Yes, I, I, I'm curious. There's a lot to get in in 10 minutes. <laughs> there was a lot. I mean, I, I had a vague understanding of the, the universe itself. So I kind of knew what to expect. So it was mostly a kind of recap of WandaVision. Right. Um, which apparently is pretty good and also worth watching. I, I it as quirky and weird as hell, and I like it for that. And it's just a fan of some of the eras. They kind of, it's parody, like they sort of mm. find a creative way each episode to do a different era of sitcom. It's kind of cool. Yeah, the, the kind of satirical element to it is apparently pretty, pretty interesting, really well done. Um, so what I got basically was a kind of overview of what happened, particularly at the end of WandaVision and how that links to the rest of the film. So, I mean, the, the film itself, um, I think is interesting mostly because it, it, it probably fits most sort of comfortably into the horror genre, which I, from what I gather is relatively unusual for the Marvel films. They're mostly action. A few of them are comedies. And the, the fact that it kind of sits between the... Uh, spider-man film which felt I, i've also seen that and that felt a little bit more kind of light-hearted with all mm. the spider-men and stuff like that and obviously the new thor film which I saw the trailer for and it looks like it's going to be quite again quite funny quite yeah. sort of a lot more humorous this feels very dark almost from the start it veers almost into kind of gore territory in parts wow which a lot of the audience clearly weren't expecting <laughs> um which <laughs> Do they commit to it though, Steve, or is it is it kind of like Disney where it's like, well, we'll, we'll commit to it a wee bit, is but it, no, is we're is not. It, I'm not... guessing it's a twelve or is it a fifteen? Think no, it's, it's a. Is it no? It's a twelve. It's definitely it's a, be a twelve. It's be yeah, like they can, they've probably pushed it to a twelve as max. They can, it's. Yeah, I was going to say they've, they've pushed the the, the <clears> A in twelve A. I think yeah. as far as they could. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, there's a there's a lot of chat online. People saying, "Would you let your kids see this?" And a lot of people saying, "Actually, you know what? Probably not." And I'd, I'd I probably wouldn't advise it unless you were a pretty sort of hardy twelve, thirteen, fourteen year olds. But um, yeah, so it's, it's it definitely has that kind of horror feel to it. Um, but the the way the multiverse obviously works within Marvel, it feels relatively simple. You've got one guy who's got a ring who can spin round and round, and it opens up portals to other universes and people step through. Feels relatively that element. I think takes a bit of a a back burner to the storyline of the film itself and the actual plot of the the action to it, which I'm not going to go into for for spoiler reasons. But despite the fact I'd come from it as a casual viewer who hadn't seen many of the other films, it was still particularly enjoyable. There were obviously big surprises within it, which I could tell from the audience reaction. There were there was another sort of group of friends sitting next to me who were gasping at a few points. So there are, <laughs> right, yeah. I think, some um, characters, some people that pop up who are clearly unexpected. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a massive cheer at one point. So there's there is someone who will appear who I think if you're a big fan of the franchise, you will be incredibly pleased to see. I'm basing that off the guys that were sitting next to me. Right. That's awesome. Um, but it, sorry, I've got a slightly no, don't worry, distracted. Man. It's all good. Um, I, just, well, I'll, I'll let, I can uh, I can talk <laughs> while you're. So, so like it's interesting that uh, kind of uh, the limitation that because I've found that I've been wanting to see. Me and Scott were talking about going to see this film, and I have had reservations because I've heard that I've seen one division so I don't have to have that qualifier but I've not seen the last Spider-Man film which I really should see anyway because I hear it's good and there's a couple other TV shows the Loki TV show the What If animated series show which deals with a lot of weird um, multiverse stuff I've heard so there's like a lot of things where I feel like I should really watch these but I, I end up never watching them but then also missing the film and it sort of means that i'm then falling behind and it kind of creates this thing where i never see it <laughs> that's it. it it almost feels like a, a second job almost having yeah. to keep up with the <laughs> the marvel universe because there is kind of so much sorry i've got a little uh <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> that was incredibly um what's this um, take on, on, on I don't say hello. Yeah. <laughs> he's just he's just watched ambulance michael bay film and been like that dad those drones man <laughs> what is the need drones? for that <laughs> <laughs> um no I, I i i i would probably agree with you steve because and one of the things where i, I probably didn't think it was a strong um season but the new Marvel Moon Knight, uh, Oscar Isaac one, it was actually a breath of fresh air because it was completely new. There was no, you, you know, oh, you've got to watch this to watch it. It was a completely new character. Um, and that's why I, I liked that the most, because it's like I'd, I had to go back. i I never seen WandaVision um, and even Loki when they first came out. So I did go back and watch them. And I, I did still quite like them. But yeah, Moon, Moon Knight, the Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, kind of even before watching it, it kind of does seem daunting because it's kind of like, I don't know if I want all these different sort of strands of stories and it's going to, you know, where is it going to go? I'm probably still in a wee bit of Marvel fatigue from uh, Endgame. Yeah, so to be honest. Gonna, I was going to lead into that, Steve. So you've now seen this film, which is after. Well, I think they're in phase four, they call it now, which ended, yeah. phase three ended with these huge Titan films, uh, Endgame and Infinity War, which I believe are fantastic films. But do you, um, do you have what, do you have a, a kind of 
are you wanting to go and see any of the old films now or are you kind of how did this film make you feel in that like way it didn't give me the overwhelming urge to go back i would be interested at some point to kind of look back but it's the reference because what they've they've thrown in so many references but they're all very subtle Mm. and very sort of fleeting so it would involve going back and maybe watching one or two entire movies in order to get maybe three or four lines of dialogue in this film yeah or perhaps the existence of one character who kind of pops in and pops back out again so it would be i mean considering all that considered on its own it is still a relatively watchable film if you kind of just watch it and kind of get to grips because they they do go into the various characters backgrounds they do reference what's happened previously to them and why they're in the position that they're in now. So the film does continue to be watchable. So it, it, as a standalone film, it is still enjoyable. Right. There's still good action in it. The The action scenes are fantastic. Some of the sort of fight scenes, um, it's still, um, it's a, it's a decent length. It didn't feel too long. There were no points where it dragged. There's no points where, despite not knowing what was going on, perhaps I was still relatively engaged because I could see that, there was obviously some, for example, some tension that was happening. You can still feel that. You don't need to know the entire backstory of every character in order to work out that this guy has beef with this guy or yeah. this guy gets over this guy but doesn't get over that guy. It's still relatively easy to watch. So, I mean, if it's not something I would immediately say to someone who hadn't watched any of the films, go and see. But if you happen to be accompanying a massive fan or you fantasy going along and the opportunity comes up, I would still recommend going to see it. It's still a very enjoyable piece of cinema. They are legitimately well-made films that are yeah. enjoyable to watch with, with decent characters, great actors. They're the, the sort of cream of the crop of sort of films that are around you. You're always guaranteed a decent watch. No, I was going to say, does it set up... Um... Because I think when I say I've got fatigue in terms of Marvel, it's probably just because I don't really know where the direction's going in terms of the the you know this phase four etc. Because like obviously spoiler territory here. No, 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 not really. But no, so does it does it set up without obviously saying it? Does it set up something that made you go? Wow, I can't wait for the next one. As opposed to, I want to go back and watch all twenty six or twenty seven. So I think again, it's the thing with the Marvel films where you stay after the credits and something happens. It's at yeah. that point where something happens, and from gauging the reaction and from watching what happened at that moment, it did make me think, okay, hold on a sec, that seems like a massive mm. twist in the plot that's going to develop down a, a different avenue. Which would make me interested to see kind of what happens next. Yeah. Hmm. So, so like, there's there's definitely a continuation there, the, which looks intriguing. The stinger, I think they call it, is like if it's, they have one or two, uh, a mid credit one and then a final end credit one, and one, yeah. of, one of them is usually, I think, for the the formula has been this way for a long time anyway, where the next director of that of the scene that that's in, the, that's that's the actual the director that's filmed it, the next director kind of thing, and it's them <clears> a little sequence for uh, the next one. That's usually what it is, and it's and it's usually nothing. Sometimes it's barely connected to the film you've just watched. It's like a random character doing something completely different, and you're like, and again, it is the Marvel fans that are like, oh my god, they're bringing the duck faced guy. Oh my god, <laughs> uh, you know. But like, you know, it, it, some of it's really cool, and it can land really well. And then sometimes, if you're completely casual, it's be like 
Oh, uh, I stayed. I stayed behind for that. Okay, weird. Yeah, that's a that's a TV show I would watch. Howard the Duck. Like that's, the Duck. that's yeah, that was the thing. I, I I'm thinking of that Aye. specifically yeah, yeah. I remember that was one of the stingers. I was just like, who the hell is this character? That it didn't seem to fit any of the what I just witnessed. Uh, and that's like, Howard the Duck would be perfect. I, I would want a I would want a rated R. Howard the Duck: mm. The Advent- Adventures of Howard the Duck. Similarly, a mix between Ted and Logan. You know okay, what I mean? I could, I could see it. That could work. Aye, aye. Um, like, yeah. No, that's 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 that's, that's what I want. Ted, doesn't it? I like that. Aye, uh, aye. Steve, before we move on from that, a couple of other things I was wondering. Obviously, the horror thing. Then that's interesting. So Marvel, some of their best films in the MCU is when they take a, a genre that is not usually kind of seen as something that superheroes fit into and then add superheroes so we've had a kind of cold war espionage film with superheroes which was captain america civil war which is one of their best ones and then we've had straight up comedies uh that are just you know buddy comedy almost uh things like that and in in horror now that's a new one i quite like that um that's that's definitely got me intrigued I, i like the idea of seeing how they do that with superheroes yeah, uh, I mean the you don't expect jump scares in a Marvel film, but there are one or two in there, and it's definitely just got this far darker, far more in towards the kind of supernatural darkness, that kind of spiritual horror. Um, I don't know what I would compare it with, but it's it's they they do it really well. Awesome. In fairness, to that. and uh, yeah, you 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 can pretty much guarantee that if the Marvel creators get their hands on a genre. They're gonna. They've got the capability and the actors and the ideas to really pull it off. Yeah. So I mean, if you're a fan of the the universe, I suspect you will really enjoy it. What would you give this film then? I think I'd actually give it a four. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I really enjoyed it. I imagine it it might be even more than that if if I understood a bit more of it. But as a a solid single watch, it it wasn't confusing. It was interesting. It was it was a fun watch. Excellent. Um. Yeah, and it's got me looking forward to. I think I probably will go and see, if I go and see Thor, that'll be three in a row, which will be a first for me in terms of Marvel films. Yeah, which you're... might give me a bit more of an understanding. But that looks like it's gonna be that looks like it's gonna be a, that looks like kind of eighties hair metal romp from the uh, yeah the trailer. Really interesting. Taika Waititi, I think, is directing <clears throat> that. He did yeah. the Ragnarok one, which is probably their most comedy of film where it's just it's have you if you've seen I've seen any of his films, Hunt for the Wilder People, I think was it called. Hmm. Uh, oh yeah. Um, you know, he's got this kind of weird oddball comedy thing going on in his films. It's usually like shock value and then comedy like intertwined together that can go quite well. It's quite funny. He did a film, Jojo Rabbit, with a boy imagining his new best friend as Hitler um, sort of thing. He, so play, he, plays, he plays Hitler. I've, I've not uh, seen it, but I heard it's really... It's hilarious. It's, a, it, it's hilarious, but it's brilliant yeah. as well. Like yeah. it's really kind of hits home as well, some of the, some of the content in it. Um, I've seen the trailer for Thor uh, Love and Thunder and it just looks it's got Taiki Waititi written all over it and you're kind of going yeah that's that's kind of what I want I think for me before Doctor Strange it's like that's why I asked Steve did they commit to the horror because part of me would be kind of like did they bite off more than they could chew so if they committed to some of the horror in terms of the kind of tone of the film but is is there just so much happening where it actually then just becomes it's not a horror movie anymore i mean it, it obviously ends up as the standards action film villain on villain yeah. or whatever 
um, you know, good guy versus bad guy. But there, there is a there's a there's a dark undertone right mm. the way through it. Um, there's sort of constant little moments of horror. Um, I mean, obviously they've still got to appeal to that wide audience, so it's not absolutely petrifying. Um, anything that's going to absolutely you know shock you, it's not, but it's, it's not, still not it's enough to make you... or anything like that. Or, no, exactly, or... it's not The Exorcist, but <laughs> it, it will make you jump at parts <laughs> and it will make you sort of cower away in parts, which is it, it makes for a really good watch because I'm I'm not a massive horror person. I wouldn't sit and watch you know sort of horror season or anything like that, but I I could sit and watch that quite happily. Cool. What was the other one you've seen then? Did you see um, So yeah, on a similar theme, um, everything, everything, everything everywhere all at once, which is far too much of a mouthful. <laughs> but um, so this is this is it's, this has been about um, sort of twelve, thirteen years in the making. Apparently, it is it's a multiverse film it, crossing almost. It's, it's got the feel of a kind of old school kung fu film right the way through. It's Chinese, I th- Chinese American made. I think it's fair to say you've got. I don't know what the correct terminology would be, actually, but the the actors are kind of Chinese, Korean, Vietnamese, Oriental. I know is now the wrong words. There's probably a legitimate term. I'm not quite sure what it is, but you understand where yeah, I'm getting yeah, at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So it's it's Michelle Yeoh in the the main role, which apparently was originally written for Jackie Chan, but they've over the years rewritten it to make it a female character. I think it makes more sense because if you chucked, I think. If you threw Jackie Chan into the lead role of this film, it would be too obvious. It would, there would be, it would almost feel like there's no imagination. Oh, well, it's a, a film with some uh, martial arts in it, and it's Chinese based. Let's throw Jackie Chan in it. So I'm glad, I'm kind of glad they didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've got, uh, you've got Jamie Lee Curtis is the other big name in there as well. And it's, uh, I think it's probably, it's, it's kind of an, it's an absurd dark action comedy. Emphasis on the words absurd. The, if you were to sum it up in a word, you'd probably describe it as anarchy because okay. it is completely all over the place. I will be honest, it, I, twice in the film, well, midway through when I thought it had finished and then at the end when it actually finished, I kind of stood for about 10 seconds and then went, what the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> because I had to kind of almost lie down in a dark room for an hour after and kind of take it all in. <laughs> but because I, 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 I wasn't sure what I thought of it when I came out the cinema, but I think on reflection it's probably brilliant. So the basic plot of it is it's a woman who owns a laundrette who is being um, audited by the IRS, which is the American tax guys basically, and then basically discovers via a multiverse traveler that she is the only person in the multiverse who has the power to defeat a supervillain. Um, which comes completely out of nowhere, obviously, to her. And you're then kind of thrust into this universe-traveling sort of romp where you're entering a whole multitude of... They kind of managed to throw every possible genre of film in there somewhere, most of it sort of being pastiched. Um, The comedy is bizarre, to say the least, there it's absurd. I don't know if you're a fan of I don't know folk like things like the Mighty Bush. I think, for example, I think you'd probably find this film absolutely hilarious. It's not generally my bag of comedy. That kind of really sort of odds. Yeah. Um. Very very left field style. Monty Python taken to an even further level or something. <laughs> taken to an even yeah. Monty Python with many drops of acid right. is probably the best way of describing it. But if it's that kind of there's a, a sort of um, mantra of comedy where if you repeat something often enough, 
somehow it then becomes funny and the audience do start laughing at it and it's that style of humour at first you look at it and go why is that funny but when they do it for the 14th time it's so ridiculous that you do actually find yourself stupidly laughing right. at it yeah I can kind of see that yeah um, and I mean the contrast in multiverse travel the way that you have to travel between universes in this film is so much more convoluted and I would say painful um again i'm not going to give away any spoilers or anything like that but basically in order to travel through a universe you have to do something stupid to kind of unlock the the portal if you like to jump through to another universe so it results in people doing some in some cases funny in some cases stupid in some cases just outright gross things in order to kind of unlock the portal to jump through to the next universe so how, um, they, how does that so what just what makes something stupid like is it just it's a quite a subjective thing <laughs> um i mean things like i'm trying to i'm trying to think of one of the examples um you know it'll be something stupid like you need to uh you know stab yourself with a needle or something like that right something that you just wouldn't normally do in any sort of stand like or um you know declare your love to the ultimate supervillain who is chasing you and only doing that unlocks the portal that allows you to jump through to the next multiverse to escape. Wow. Um, Sounds which, a esque It's probably not far <laughs> off. There's, there's various sort of madcap things that, that I, I suppose I can see the kind of parallels there. Was um, one of them to watch all the Michael Bay Transformers films. <laughs> <laughs> that might be slightly less painful than the things <laughs> they have to do to jump through. It's um, like no, nah, no. Nah, I'm just going to stab my leg. It's fine. Exactly. This is this is, this is far less painful. Funny uh, that. Ow. <laughs> um, but it's it's because it's a it's a fascinating film to watch because the whole time you're watching, it, it's by the time you're halfway through, you have no idea in reality who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. It only really becomes clear who is who at the end and what everyone's motives are. And are the bad guys really actually quite good? Are the good guys actually really quite bad? And it, it really does hold you. you. You kind of, that confusion, in a good sense, runs right the way through the film. It does, it really holds your attention. The plot twists everywhere, left, right, and center. And some of the universes that they end up in are, I mean, when you end up pastiching the film Ratatouille. Wow, okay. Uh, but <laughs> a kind of live, what I've described as a live action, real version of it um it's it's utterly bizarre it's very but specific it's it's an incredibly it's, it's such a specific reference i didn't actually understand i had to have that explained to me afterwards i haven't actually seen ratatouille yeah. but it's 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 really clever and by the time you get to the end you actually realize it's brilliant because it the, it goes into it's not just as opposed to doctor strange which is a multiverse film which is basically bad guys battling each other this properly it tackles relationships it tackles family um it tackles how happy you are in life you know do you go for the sort of boring secure life or do you actually take risks follow your dreams and go for what you really are passionate about in life the people the jobs the things it tackles it really sort of tackles all these sort of real life in a for a film that is completely in the based in the unbelievable the you know the multiverse theory it properly tackles real everyday human it's an interesting contrast 
emotions and yeah sort of emotions and the sort of everyday struggles that people go through it references mental health and things like that and it's that contrast it it shouldn't work but i mean they seem to have had sort of 10 11 12 years to work on this so they've obviously managed to sort of hone it and because they're not focusing on 20 other different films they've managed to put all their efforts into this one film they've absolutely nailed it that sounds awesome so it's it is it and it's genius it's it takes, a, I think, well, it took me a, about a day or so to really process it and kind of work out how clever it was. But with a lot of hindsight, it, it is actually, I think, genuinely brilliant. It's not kind of my style. There are moments, there are moments where I really laugh. There's some proper daft comedy in it, kind of thrown in for good measure. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's got, it's got a bit of everything. It's, it's got, I mean, the action scenes, the, um, the martial arts in it is really fantastic, really well done. So it's got that kind of old school kung fu movie feel to it right the way through I think but Michelle Yeoh was known for that wasn't she um, been such an accomplished martial artist did she do a lot of that from what you could see herself in that film I gather so it, lo- it certainly looks like it yes it was incredibly well choreographed in that sense I do like Michelle Yeoh I really want now I, want, I really want to see this film <laughs> it sounds <incredible>. <laughs> <laughs> what, what would you give this film as a rating I think I actually would give it a 4 yeah. it's possibly too out there in madcap for me to properly put it up there as an absolute favourite, but it's so... The genius of it can't be denied. It's almost a head-over-heart decision, this. It's perhaps not my bag at first sight, but it's so complex and clever and well done that it has to be highly rated, so I think it's kind of got to be a four. I think for its originality it's as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's nothing else like it. I struggled it a bit with just, on you. No, just, it, it. From what you said, it just sounds as if they, but it, it could be zany, but brilliant. It just, it just sounds as if they commit to it. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing held back. It's just like, this might not work. It might work, but we're committed. Yeah, and I think like, that, it doesn't sound like a studio is interfering. I said, "Here's aye. what the vision of what." No, it's just this. No, this no we can't. We, yeah, and I think that's the thing. We and I'm going to ask you if you were to compare it with like Doctor Strange to this, because for me, Doctor Strange, these films can never fully commit to a genre or be their own thing because they are tied to that. PG, not PG, but you know what I mean. That that sort of, you know, sort of mass 12, audience 12, yeah. Aye. Whereas a film like this, it's like, and that's why I like Logan so much because Logan, the Wolverine character, was tied to that franchise, but they just went, no, do you know what? Forget it. We're just going to do a crazy X-rated one, and it's going to be brutal, and I, and they commit to it. Um. So in terms of your comparison to the two, would you say? What, what would you say is the the most enjoyable? Um, as a, I mean, in terms of just sort of almost sitting back and letting your mind just sort of not requiring for what requires for what doesn't require much thought, it's mm. kind of Doctor Strange, I would say, because as you say, it's they can't go full on multiverse yeah. madcap because they do have to stick to that um they've got to link into other films they've got to have other recognizable characters and they've got a they've got a studio appealing to mass audiences and you know selling merchandise and whatnot um but the the point you made about them just going for it and everything everywhere all at once you absolutely cannot deny the commitment to the genre and to the film and to just go, this is what we want to do. I haven't, I hadn't heard of the Dans before who produced this, uh, who directed this film. It's two guys, can't remember the surnames, but they're both called Dan. 
I believe they've done some other stuff before, but more kind of um, sort of low, not low budget, but um, stuff that's sort of less Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is definitely more into the kind of Sundance Film Festival style, you know, Cannes audiences rather than the multiplexes. Yeah. Um, but well, they've they, done um, Sorry, Steve. They've done. I don't know if you've ever seen the film Swiss Army Man. I've not, no. So they directed that. That's amazing. Paul Dano and uh, uh, Harry Potter. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe. Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. Really good. I hear it's really good. Very strange. It's amazing. Aye, they directed that. So and they and that is that is bizarre. But they commit to it, and that's why it's that's why it's good. That's why it's so good. It sounds like that's their thing. They yeah they yeah they they go weird, but they go full on weird, which is you, know, you can't do. They can't. You couldn't do this film half hearted. Yeah. And by God, they haven't. <clears throat> awesome. That sounds awesome. I, I'll definitely need to check that out. Uh, is there anything else, Steve, or is that your two main ones? Uh, that's my two I'm going to go for, I think. Awesome. Right. Uh, cool. So it's just me then. Uh, the film I've seen is Operation Mince Meat. And it's actually a film that came out in in Britain in 2022. Um, but it was actually released... In 2021 in most other countries um it's a war film a war drama world war ii specifically uh it's kind of 1943 so it's kind of closer to the tail end of the war um it's more in the sort of i would say if you're to compare it i would say it's kind of like uh, darkest hour if you've seen that or the, or the other churchill film um so that i'll set up first of all i suppose it's about a plot that um the British had concocted. They were uh, worried about uh, their their um, armies being um, attacked by the Nazis, and and so they had to create a diversionary tactic to get the Germans to go to, I think it was um, invade Sicily instead, and then and so well they and so they essentially trying to plant fake information that would make the Germans go to there instead, and they would the the the, the British would attack, um, but. So there's a lot of uh kind of and it's you know Colin Firth is your lead, and he's um you know kind of leading the operation, and you've got uh, Kelly McDonald as well who is kind of drafted in to help. She kind of what they do is they create a kind of it sounds mad. This is obviously true story stuff. So they create a plot where they have a letter from a dead soldier. Um. Yeah, it's a and it's sort of, and it put into this pocket of this dead body, and they ship it over, and so with the intention that it will be found eventually, and through a chain of events, will be given to enough people that will pass it on, uh, to to the Germans, and and this this letter will, kind of goes into you know the the ins and outs of the this what love's love story they've concocted but also in the, in the letter will tell the, the plans but just done in a kind of um it's clearly meant to just be offhand comment that gives the gives the, the direction of where they're going so they have to create and this is where they, they, they kind of create this plot and they create a, they create a character they create this person this and then and his love of his life and they they fabricate this story um, of these of these two characters and all of their things that they they did together and all of their and it's obviously drawn on uh, Colin Firth's he's married in the film 
that's clearly an unhappy marriage. You can kind of tell there's a bit of uh, distance between him and his wife, and he's always working and things like that. He's got one more mission. Um, so Kelly McDonald, younger character, he meets, and you can tell there's a kind of love triangle building with another character in the film, and it's these conversations between all three of these characters um, is kind of the them creating the love story for the, this letter they're sending it with this dead body but it's obviously drawing on the sort of drama that's going on between the, the actual characters in the film and you're not sure who she likes and, and, and which one is she going to go for and so it's this kind of the love triangle element to the film Steve, uh, yeah. does Kelly McDonald sound like Kelly McDonald or does uh, she put on another accent? I'm trying like, does, to she sound, does she sound like Brave? No, she's not a Scottish character as far as I can remember. Oh, right, I've okay. seen this film about nearly two months ago. I'm trying to recall um, how she sounded. I think it's an English accent. I liked her in this film. I mean, I, li- I genuinely like Kelly McDonald. I think she's a fantastic actor. Um, but her accent, obviously, from Line of Duty is one that kind of got a bit of criticism for it. It being overly pronounced in Overly pronounced. Uh huh. Uh, I think is she actually uh, Scottish? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought she was. Yeah, I, she was in Train Spotting, wasn't she? I thought she was Scottish. <laughs> then I saw her in a couple other things, and I just assumed she was English. Yeah. She the, the the, and it's a shame because I think she like many Scottish actors probably have to do, um, is it overpronunciate? Um, but she she genuinely did sound as if she was English, putting on a Scottish accent in line of duty mm. and that was probably the most jarring thing because it's like well i know she's scottish but that's so awkward to hear <laughs> um yeah so I, it sounds like she's in, in that film uh in that series it sounded a bit like she's always speaking to like a primary six-year-old or something trying uh, to, uh, you're trying to speak proper and uh, let them know that they are doing something uh, wrong that's how she the, spoke put the gun down uh-huh. put the gun down uh-huh. please yeah, yeah. <laughs> although um I would say, Steve, it does sound like a, a really good original concept. That, and I'm hoping you're going to say that there is action based in Sicily or Italy, because no. I don't recall much. No. Because no. <laughs> I was going to say there wasn't much specific, war films that were yeah. based um, there. Specifically drama. And I think, so what I was going to say is um, there's sort of a sub story in there. Now, this is where your interest will peak, Gordon. Um, there is a character in this film who the, the reference. Some a little ham-fistedly at first. Um, uh, what was his his designated title? Um, uh, I can't remember what commander. Or he's not a commander or anything like that. He's a private. Uh, Ian Fleming. I don't know. He doesn't say he's he's a thing. So he's in it. This is this is one of the operations that Ian Fleming apparently was part of. So he's one of the. He's kind of doing a lot of stuff, and it's a um, the actor that plays him. I think is generally good from just what I've seen of clips of Ian Fleming talking. He's always got the cigar and all this kind of stuff. And it does seem a little slight caricature of that. Um, but and he's always typing away and it's like they make little references. He's always kind of uh, in fantasy land or something, something like that. He says that, you know, he's all just get this, get the report written Fleming and stop and all that kind of thing. And it's a bit like, all right, okay. Um, but it's, it was kind of cool because I was watching it because I didn't know this and I was like, Hang on, that was did you just say Ian Fleming there? And then I realised the film went on, and there's M is in this. You know, they report to M and, they, and all that. So I'm like, it kind of feels like a weird pseudo origin story for the James Bond novels, which I kind of kind of liked. 
but you know, that's, that's a side part of the thing you know that's not like a main thing it doesn't yeah. go into a lot of detail it's just he's a supporting character in the story but it did actually add something for me even because i didn't know that going in um so yeah. the the main plot is obviously this fabrication of the character and this love story and there's some comedic moments where they're they're trying to find a way to get like a a dead body they've found and they're trying to prop the dead body up to get the identity photo of and then it'll take the photo and they're sort of trying to hold this dead body's head up you know and it's that kind of kind of there's some comedic moments that are quite funny because of that as a film it's fine um i think they overdo i found a little i don't know i found it a bit over sentiment not sentimental but just a bit much where they're talking over dinner about i think whatever the character's name is we'll call him john we'd prefer zeal or or, or, or fish with his chips and they're just going to so much detail about what is essentially you know getting to this letter mm. and you know it's, it's obviously and it just seems a bit like they it's over the, the these I, I don't know if they actually would have had that much discussions over dancing and things like that trying to kind of nail down this love story this thing um so i kind of took me out a bit and i was like ah they're getting a bit maybe this is a bit much here they're maybe making something out of nothing but they probably would have um but you know as you say do you what do you need to see that um as that granular in a film probably not i I found it a bit like ah come on this is a bit much a wee bit flowery here now yeah i wonder uh, if mm -hmm. Sorry, Steve. I was just going to say, I wonder if um, any of the the crew or the director have ever seen Enigma, because it reminds me a lot of that, especially when I know you went on about the whole Ian Fleming angle. And the, I mean, obviously, he worked in naval intelligence, where there was the it revolved a, a lot around the the real life decoding that went on in yeah, the war, and uh, that has a bit of that. But it also has this a lot of the story revolves around this love triangle, and it's Kate Winslet and Dougie Scott. I'd, I'd recommend that though if you haven't seen it, because it sounds there's a few similarities there definitely and it's also you just reminded me of uh, a little about like the imitation game um yeah know, that kind of that kind of film the imitation game's a better film and it's but um this film is is fine it is a solid fine film it's it was entertaining enough and it had i like the set i love world war Two stuff and it even it's sort of um you know dusky offices talking about you know strategy and things like that i still actually find it interesting with these you know colin firth um characters like that jason isaacs plays um i think he's M actually and he's very uh you know he's tough quite arrogant uh character so a couple of good scenes there um but yeah so it's it's got you know, and, and I suppose if you knew where it's leading to, it's probably uh, predictable. Um, and I kind of had a suspicion, even not knowing the story, where it was going to go and what was going to happen. Mm. So, you know, maybe lacking intention a little, but it was still a fine film. I'd give it a three stars for me. It wouldn't get a four. It would just be a, a three. It was, you know, fine, um, but not one that I would say you need to see this film. Um, and I'm not sure how if there was any you know with these films you always hear about um accuracy and things like that i've read into it a little it seems mostly like it was um it follows what events happened but they've probably fabricated like i think the the actual kelly mcdonald character i don't think she was in it so i think those are or, or they've changed a hell of a lot there so there's the elements of the film that you know is, is purely for the film but yeah well, enjoy we'll, we'll know we'll know if you want you know historic accuracy for a film you watch braveheart Oh, of yeah. course. Uh, I knew you were yeah. going to say that. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah, like the, the, you know, it's, 
it's interesting because I, I think it's weird when you see when I seen the title Operation Mincemeat. As I say, with no, I did not know that that was the plot of the film. I would have probably have, I would have kind of maybe expected more of a kind of satire film. With that, yeah, with that totally, title. yeah. yeah. Is that, know, is, that's the name of the operation, so obviously that's why it's aye, called yeah, that. But exactly. As aye. a film that doesn't scream, you know, World War Two drama. No, yeah, drama. that's that's weird. Aye. Yeah, it yeah. sounds it sounds as if it's going to be Colin Firth, but Operation Mincemeat. It's kind of like the we were talking about, like you know, the um, Black Adder and all. It's kind of similar. It sounds as if that. So, but. I suppose it's like obviously when it starts, but I, I love those stories. The, the obviously it was Tom Cruise. You talk about historic accuracy. I don't know how accurate that was, but he done uh, Valkyrie, which I yeah. actually quite liked as a film. It was the coup on the the internal sort of Nazi trying to overthrow the the government. Once I got um, past the Tom Cruise having an American accent thing, <clears throat> I got past that. It's actually a fine film, but that's was jarring for uh, me at first. Uh, uh, he does. It, to, to be fair to Tom, right? He does speak German in the first. Like, yeah, you do that intentionally. It's like yeah, they just kind of like everyone's speaking German as an accent there, and then suddenly it's like, right, we couldn't have all doing this for the entire film, so cool, everyone back to your normal accents and go. The, the, well, the Hi, problem well. is, I think there's something because I think Bill Nehe's in it and he speaks his kind of normal sort of Bill Nehe voice, but there is a few, I think there's a few others that put on a German accent, yeah, so there's a, a bit of inconsistency, it's strange, which is weird. Aye, it's just like, yeah. just, put, just use your, your normal voice type thing. Um, yeah, so they're they're wanting you to just kind of switch off to the fact they're using the normal voice and just kind of accept as is. I'm presuming because that they did something like that in Where Eagles Dare, which is a fantastic World War Two film with Richard Burton and Clint Eastwood among others. But they, um, but it was when Richard Burton and Eastwood were disguised as Nazis and they walked around these these pubs in the village and like near the Eagles Nest, Switzerland, wherever it was, just talking in their British and American accents. You're, yeah. I think they just. Ex- and nobody notices us. But yeah, yeah, you just sometimes with films it's like what we've always said, suspend your disbelief. Oh, ah, it's yeah. like the Sean it's like the Sean Connery effect and the hunt for Red October. Yeah, as, like, as soon as you said Connery, you I was do, fucking hunting for Red October. You, you do not want to hear Big Sean even attempt that Russian accent. So you're happy with him just <laughs> yeah, I know. Connery. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like but like you've got Sam Neil and that that are actually putting on a, a, a twang, don't they? I think they put on yeah, a, a Russian twang. Yeah, I don't think he sounds particularly convincing at it. No, from what I remember. No. So, aye, so it's one of those ones where would I want to, a film where I'm listening to Tom Cruise putting on a German accent? I know he does a lot of his own stunts and stuff like that, but now I'm happy for him just to just to speak American. You know what I mean? He does. He does everything. He learns to fly helicopters. He arranges all these like schools and everything for the cast and crew. But he will not speak in a German accent, can, can which surprises me. You think he would learn it? <laughs> right. Well, that's uh, pretty much my only film I've seen. So there's not many more I can talk about. Uh, I know I have watched the first episode. It's not a film, obviously, of Kenobi, the TV series. Um, I could spend just a couple of minutes on that. I know Scott, have you watched that? Yeah. Who's who's crashed? Is it me? He's trying, it trying to think. Sorry, I lost you for a second. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd asked you a question and you stared. Just just staring off into the distance. <laughs> 
it's like wow. I'll repeat. Think of it, Michael Bay again. Yeah. I know. I was like, oh, why the fuck did they use so many drones in that film? Honestly, <laughs> uh, I was. I was saying I've, I could talk very quick, very quickly. Well, briefly before I go into the last segment of this podcast, mm-hmm. but uh, Obi Wan Kenobi. Uh, yeah, I've sure. watched the first episode. I know you've watched three, is it? I've watched three. Watched, I've watched the three. They're, so, they're coming out every Wednesday. Yeah, so I can just very quickly on that. Um, I've So the first episode, no, this is obviously no spoilers. This is just set up, really. But um, it's. I would say it's okay. Uh, I'm so far not completely like in love with this, but I think I'm reaching... I think the disclaimer with me here is I'm reaching burnout with Star Wars in general. Star Wars. I think there's just a bit too much. My love for those three films initially will never go away, those original films, but the more stuff that's came out, I'm just the excitement I'm getting for them is diminishing with each thing. And that, that's even not saying that, the, that some stuff, like The Mandalorian is a really good show, but I kind of didn't need it anymore. And with Obi-Wan, I'm getting a bit like that. But it's nice seeing Ewan McGregor back. As much as I like, uh, I don't really like those prequels, Ewan McGregor's the best thing about them. So it's kind of yeah. cool seeing him being that character again. Although I don't buy that. So it's set 10 years after Return of the Jedi and 10 mm. years before I think if I'm right, is it 20 years then technically? The yeah, he, he he needs to age oh, no, dramatically. Sorry. Yeah, so I sorry. I have it's 10, 10 years after. No, no, yeah, I'm getting it wrong. It's 10 years uh, before the, the first Star Wars film. Uh, now, uh, um, but also yeah, I was about to say, is he playing a hologram? After, 10 years after um, Revenge of the Sith. So yeah. Luke and Leia are 10 years old in this. They are children in this. That's not like a major spoiler. They're kind of, they're like in the first episode. Um, and yeah, it's. Obi-Wan, just hermit guy living on Tatooine, sort of watching Luke from afar really is the main setup for the film, but also dealing kind of with PTSD really from mm. the events from Revenge of the Sith, which is an interesting take. Quite dark, actually. Um, you know, he's got nightmares, he's waking up in hot flushes, all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, and hot sweats, I meant. Sorry, but like, yeah, it's, it's fine. Um, I think interesting you know characters appearing and and things like that and i'm like some villains that are actually i can tell are from the animated shows that are like characters that are like if you followed that stuff again it's like steve was saying if you if you followed this kind of stuff you'd probably get even more of a buzz seeing some of these animated show characters which were never canonical or they didn't feel like they're canonical in the main star wars film lore <clears throat> now suddenly are kind of appearing so um but I, I'm still a bit like, I don't know, um, it didn't uh, overwhelm me. But yeah, as you were saying, Scott, Ewan McGregor looks good, obviously, for his age. And I don't know mm. what age he is and what he looks like in this film. He probably looks about late 40s. Yeah. So he's got like, in 10 years, they've got to age him to the 70s Aye, looking to, to get, uh, like Obi-Wan with the grey hair. Mm. And, the, and the, he doesn't talk like Obi-Wan as well. Like he doesn't. It it doesn't feel like Obi. I don't see. I don't see Ewan McGregor no. at all. No. I see an aged <clears throat> version of Obi Wan in the prequels. Like they're they are like two different characters. Yeah. And so there's a bit of a disconnect there for me because I'm like, you're and not going to sound like Ewan McGregor, mate. No. And again, I think that's that. There's a lot of kind of things with this where that inconsistency is so apparent because it's like he needs to age rapidly to get to where. The original Obi One is going to be a tough ten years. He's going to have it, and the fact that the fact that they're making this, and obviously it's to get Obi One back. I think this is, to be honest with you, because Hayden Christensen's back in it as well. 
it's almost like a we need to kind of get these guys back because actually they were they were okay, so we'll give them their their, their sort of one last hurrah type thing. Especially Hayden Christensen, that's what that kind of feels like to me. With that, um, I'm kind of I, I was kind of like where you were, Steve. I probably kind of still am with Star Wars. Um, obviously, the pinnacle of the films being the Last Jedi, and it's just all been downhill from there. Um, that was a that was a joke. Uh, your sarcasm maybe not pure, pure and utter unfiltered sarcasm there. Um, but I really liked the Mandalorian, and I liked the Mandalorian because it was a new character. It was different. It was like a space western as opposed to the the kind of you know the romps that we get in Star Wars films. Um, then Boba Fett came out, and it kind of I watched the first two episodes of Boba Fett, and I was like, man. I just don't need this. I don't care. I don't know. I don't care. I, I, Boba Fett was cool at the time. He was brought back in Mandalorian as the as the kind of cameo thing. That's fine. I really don't need a whole season of Boba Fett. Um, and then obviously Obi Wan, where I'm kind of like, right, okay, I like Obi Wan. It starts when you get into the third episode, Steve. You probably will be like, ah. Right, I've okay. heard something Aye. big happens, and my brother kind of mentioned it to me today. Yeah. So I know there's a big, a big character that appears and is like, Aye. Aye. I, knew he, I knew he was going to be in it at some point. There's there is still moments where there's still moments where I, I kind of I kind of almost feel as I'm watching it as if I'm like a character with no dialogue in Legend of Zelda. Any of the characters go, oh, oh, ah, ah. That's kind of how I feel like I'm watching Obi-Wan because there's some bits where it's like, this is really good. And it's even especially Obi-Wan's like PTSD and then realizing, you know, obviously like Anakin, he, he thinks Anakin dies on that mountain. So then him realizing that Anakin actually is still alive is genuine and utter fear and shock. And it's brilliant how he portrays it. The problem that I've got is is that there's some bits, I think it's in the first episode, Steve, and I don't know if you noticed that, right? But see, I don't know if this will be getting into too many spoilers. Yeah, don't go into spoilers for anyone in case so you there's a chase, there's it. There's a chase scene in the woods, and it just looks so cheap and fake, and it actually kind of res- reminds me of like a like the Putty Men and Power Rangers chasing like a, like a main character type thing yeah and it yeah was just like that. oh man this looks so cheap however i did like the fact that we actually did go to alderan and it was so refreshing to see a different environment other than fucking tatooine it's like does this can we just have a star wars setting that is not dry and beige and dusty and tatooine yeah uh yeah i like that i am um, that was an interesting kind of perspective and so I'm curious, I would say, but I know that I'm not, I don't know, I'm not bursting to kind of watch it. I'm not that excited. I suspect maybe a new fan, someone who's really into uh, or, or into the animated shows and into the lore of this, this stuff still, and especially someone who grew up with the prequels as their films, this is probably awesome. Like, this is that kind of fan where I'm, uh, yeah, I'm like, I like Ewan McGregor and I do think he is the best thing in those films, but it's also not something that I'm like, I don't know. The disconnect from the original trilogy is just too much. But even then, I don't need all the references to the old films to be no. to suddenly make it good. You know, like it doesn't that doesn't do it for me. But um, yeah. So overall, it's fine. I don't know. I wouldn't put a score rating on it yet or anything like that without having. No, I think it. Just, I, 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 again, I'm I'm into it. I'm I'm in for the hype. It's kind of like right. There's moments where you're kind of like mm, that doesn't work, but like um. 
I'm still in. Do you know what I mean? Um, sorry, two seconds. Is that Sky? Sky's at the bottom of the stairs shouting right. on his eye. Yeah, okay. Daddy! Uh, oh, wait, are you dealing with that now? <laughs> She's just, I don't know where Amy is. <laughs> sorry about this. I'm glad you cleared that up because I was going, is that you or is that me? Aye, I was thinking again it would be. I forgot. It's Steve, got... Steve, I like it when Steve calls me daddy. He's just doing it really, really quiet. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I think the, the even after the third, so there's still three more episodes to go. Kind of know where it's going to go. And I think we're going to get another big returning um, sort of cameo appearance, certainly from the way it's, it's the, you know, the scenes are set up and stuff like that. Do I? But I'm not. I'm not gonna go. Oh, I can't wait till Wednesday. I cannot wait till Wednesday. I wish Disney Plus done a subscription. I would just pay it for right now. I need to see it. I'm kind of not there. You know, it's one of those ones where it's like, yeah, I'm, I'll watch it on Wednesday. Could I wait until it's all out? Yeah, probably. Um, so I. But it's still good. It's still good. Okay, right. That'll do our film roundups. There's only there's a, one more thing I was going to do. I said I would do it. I'm trying to think how I'm going to do this now, actually. But essentially what I was going to uh, propose to you is, and you're becoming an honorary member of the Bond Daft Project, Scott, for this part, where we're going... I was thinking... I was Oh, to... yes. Yeah. Is, this, is, this, is this the moment? What? Is this the moment where we talk about Goldeneye and Piers Brosnan oh, and how well, bad he is? Actually, no. And I'll cut that because... <laughs> He's just been uh, holding in his rage for hours since that I've been taking it out. Okay. Poor Michael not... Bay. I've been taking it out. Michael Bay's drone work, and actually, all it is is just I'm, I'm dying to just shout abuse at Pierce Brosnan and Goldeneye. Ah, oh. fuck that, Eric Sarah. Let's oh, cut you out. No, we're not into this. That's the composer of Goldeneye, who, who is a fantastic soundtrack. I'll not hear anything. <laughs> and, uh, anyways, no, what I was going to do was because. No Time to Die was not included in our final rankings of the films. I was thinking if we spare somehow like a 10 minutes just to see if we can collectively agree where No Time to Die fits into our rankings. The only problem is I've just realized how the hell am I going to remember what our rankings were? Yeah, the first question I was going to ask is have we got some kind of visual? I find if I had a document saved. Ah, ah, there we go. I did. Mm. Oh, well, wait. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure these, are, these are mine. Shit, they're not the. Uh... Oh, fucking golden eyes going to be number Golden-Eye's one. I'm number pretty one. sure. We... <laughs> well, it's funny that because despite what we were saying earlier, I was the last man standing fighting for a golden eye at the end of all that ranking. I know, I know, I know. I did let the site down. I just knew Fran was never going to, and I was thinking as an editor, I was like, I need to. This needs to end. So it was. And it was some project really just full of twists and turns. So it's like it's like these films with all the twists, the, the guy who you never thought would be the bad guy, you know, totally. I know. Again, there's all these plot twists constantly. And right. did we put it up on the website, maybe the uh, that the was what I, ranking list? I was gonna do it. Um We kinda hear you, Steve. Which segues nice into yeah. our can you not Remember to visit www.stevemccall.online. Oh, yeah. oh. No. Oh, yeah, McCall's not coming through. Can't hear you, mate. Right, I'll see if... What I'll do is I'll... Um, I'll stop the recording just now, and I'll find a way how to do it. And that's where I'm going to cut this episode. This was quite a long episode, so I'm going to split off the final section, which is the bonus 
Bond Daft No Time to Die ranking section, where we try and fit No Time to Die into the full collection of Bond rankings that we previously did. So that's now spun off, and this episode's going to end pretty much with this. So join us next month for more film reviews, and we will see you then. Thank you. Bye-bye.